I had begun this uh, particular presentation, uh, PowerPoint presentation, uh, with, with a question that you'll see in a moment. But before I was able to ask this question, um, I should say before I could actually sing the lyrics to this song, I had this question in my mind. We'll get there in a moment. But I want to just remind you, I, if you sang the words, and maybe you were too busy trying to learn to absorb what was being said, I won't read all of it, but it says, How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. Who am I speaking to today? Well, first of all, there's both, as we have talked as pastoral staff recently. In this room and online, we have people that have known Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for decades. And there are more than likely people who have known Jesus Christ for a very short period of time. And then there are those who probably don't know what faith in Jesus Christ is all about. I'm going to pepper this morning with little comments about my, my coming to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I'll say this, how great the chasm that lay between us, between God and me, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I had no idea how big that chasm was. How high the mountain I could not climb. I thought I was good, and so did many of you, I'm sure. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Well, it was the afternoon. But I had reached the point of desperation because I had encountered God's, wood at, uh, God's word at the prompting of a friend, two friends of mine who saw through the facade of my religiosity and said, Greg is in need of Jesus Christ. They said, Greg, go read your Bible. And I read my Bible, and in the midst of Romans chapter 6, you know, the, you know my testimony, I share it enough times. I realized I was no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness if I came to faith in Jesus Christ. This song, I'm sorry, this song is just marvelous. As you go through and you sing the hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. Do you know the love of God this morning? We're going we're gonna to talk about it some more. I'm actually reaching out to those who may not know the love of God. If you're here this morning or if you're watching this 10 years from now on, on YouTube, the question for you to engage in today in your own heart and mind is, do you know Jesus? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could, have, could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And, and if I could sing, oh, if I could sing, I would break into this, uh, as, as you're singing there, the hallelujah part. I, I, would, I would just... I would just declare at the top of my lungs that Jesus Christ, my living hope, uh, he is my living hope. So I thank you, Aaron, and for those that played the music while, uh, while we were um, singing just now. It's an amazing introduction to, to today's uh, sermon. So what was the question that I, 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 I asked the following question probably to myself, uh, and I'm going to ask it of you this morning if you remember a time where you knew this question before you knew the love of Christ. What does my faith have to do with my life in the here, in the now? 
What does my faith have to do with anything? Prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I really saw this as a legitimate question. I saw this as an obstacle. I remember thinking that if I ever do surrender, I know I need to surrender my, love, my life to God. I, even as a, as a religious person who didn't fully comprehend the gospel, I knew that there was this, this, this thing that I was supposed to do, and that was I'm supposed to live for God's glory. I didn't know why, but I just felt like there was something in me that says I'm supposed to do this, and I don't want to. My faith at that particular time was in that God is, the, God is God and I'm not. I was good with that. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I was good with that. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. I was good with that. I did not comprehend that he died for my sins because I was too busy enjoying my sins. What does my faith have to do with my life here and now? Back then, it meant not much. It meant I went to church on Sundays. It meant I was nice to people. It meant I, was, uh, I honored my father and my mother in their presence, but not necessarily behind their back. Uh, it meant all kinds of things. I was, an, uh, I was a double-minded man, unstable in all my ways. What does my faith have to do with my life here and now? Everything. And as, as, as you sit here this morning, I want to encourage you. Your faith matters too. The reality is, your faith determines your family. For those of you that have been in this study of 1 John, you know what this means. You know what this means. But for those of you that are, and you may be seeing this statement for the first time, right? Your faith determines your family. What in the world? What family are you talking about? Well, John said this earlier in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, in this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So therefore, those who do practice righteousness are of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. They're, they're of the devil. Those that love their brethren are of God. So we see that there's two families, the children of God and the children of the devil. So if we run, your faith determines your family. So what family are you in today? The reality is, you're in one or the other. Certainly, we are encouraging people to be children of God, right? That's why, is that why we come to church on Sunday? We, we want to encourage people to come children of God. It's such a happy family, right? Well, we just preached on conflict not too long ago, so it's not always happy, but it's still, there's unity in Christ. There's union with Christ, and so we want people to, to become children of God, why? So they can come to church on Sunday? No, so that they can have their entire life established to God's glory and will spend eternity with him because children of God get to spend eternity with God. Children of devil do not. In 1 John 5, 1 through 5, we're going to consider this big idea. Faith in Jesus. This is what we talk about all the time, right? Faith in Jesus identifies Christians as victorious children of God. How victorious are you feeling, Christian, in your Christian walk today? How victorious do you feel as you are uh, going through the onslaught of the world around you, telling you that your beliefs are silly and that your practices are, are worthless? And if we were to believe the lies of the world, which is based in the lies of Satan, 
then we would live what, we, what I call a defeated Christian life. And our goal is not to live a defeated Christian life. Our goal is to live a victorious Christian life. And so your faith in Jesus will actually identify you as a Christian, as, victor- as a victorious child, child of God. And uh, I hope that's, that's what's true of you. So think about that as we go through uh, this. Uh, first thing I want you to consider is that your faith, notice I'm not talking about my faith and everyone's faith. I'm asking you to make this personal. Your faith in Jesus makes you a part of God's family. We've encountered this already before in, in the Gospel of John and in 1 John. But, but notice here in the first part of verse 1, it says of chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so uh, in the scripture reading that, that uh, J- uh, Josh just read for us, he, uh, uh, I started at, at chapter 4 because I wanted to make sure we understood the context of where we're going. If you don't love your brother, you can't say you love God, right? If you're going to say you love God, you've got to love your brother. That's the end of chapter 4. And here he says, and he, and he establishes this, this truth for every believer of all time. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So, so your faith in Jesus makes you a part of God's family, all right? Based upon this verse, we see that this whoever is whoever. It's a very broad term. That means whoever are in, is here in this room, whoever has joined us online, whoever might be seeing us in uh, Ukraine. I was blessed to hear that, that uh, uh, Pastor Oleg, uh, uh, a, uh, a pastor who is very near and dear to uh, Carol in our church, uh, joined us last week before the invasion. And, uh, and that's humbling to know that we can actually, we talk about, we talk about God has placed us here for New England. We get to encourage people across the globe because of all that's going on. And certainly those folks in Ukraine need some encouragement right now. But this whoever is very broad. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's very broad, but specifically, and when we talk about our faith, it's whoever believes. That becomes immediately a narrow focus. It's not whoever is born of God, right? It's whoever believes, and there's a specific content to their belief. It's an object of of belief and and the content of belief. It's whoever believes, what? That Jesus is the Christ. This is the foundational principle upon which Christianity is built. Jesus, the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the deliverer, the redeemer, the one who has come into the world at the, at the behest of God, at the initiation of God, right? God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. This is that Jesus. And it's whoever believes in the Jesus of Scripture that we're talking about today. So it's a whoever is very broad, and that's why we cast the net wide with the gospel but it's those who believe that Jesus is the Christ is what? Is born of God. This should draw your, your minds right to John 3.16, or chapter 3, I should say, of, of, uh, of the Gospel of John, where Jesus is speaking to uh, Nicodemus, a religious person, loves God, right? Thinks he's got his bases covered. Jesus comes on the scene and rocks his world. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus, what, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb? Jesus says, hey, come on, dude. You're, you're pretty smart. You should get this, right? It's a spiritual birth. 
Not a physical rebirth, a spiritual birth. And you must be born again if you are going to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, praise God, comes to faith. Not right at that moment. And it's not recorded exactly when, but he was one of the ones that took Jesus' body and was involved in that after the death uh, of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he was buried. All right, so whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So my question to you today is, where is your faith? What family do you belong to? Because if you belong to the family of God, you profess that Jesus is the promised one, and that means you are born again. Now, as a, growing up as a religious person, I thought the born-again terminology was something that a bunch of Baptists had come up with. And I, didn't, I wasn't so fond of many of the Baptists that, were, that I knew because uh, they, they tend to tell me things I didn't want to hear, like I was a sinner, that my sin was going to send me to hell. And it wasn't good news. That wasn't the good news. All right? But then when I came to understand Jesus used the term born again, ah, oh, it has a little bit more, it has a whole lot more credibility. And I had to wrestle with the fact that Jesus told me I had to come, I had to be born again. And the reality is, this is true of all believers. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. It is done. It is a done deal. Let's keep going. I thought as we were considering this idea of what it means to be born again, uh, what it means to be born of God, it would be a helpful reminder. You've seen this slide before. I'm just going to walk through it again. Why? Because if people are thinking they're in a family of God and they're actually in the family of Satan, they need to know how to get from one family to the other. It's really important that people know how to do that. So this is a gospel outline. I encourage you to use this or your own. Just make sure it's biblical. Is the idea that God created a man who fell into sin. The consequence, consequences of sin is death, eternal death, separation from God. God didn't want that to be our destiny, so he sent Christ into the world to die on the cross, and all those who come to faith in him have life eternal. It's glorious. God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. But the essential nature of this is this this person of Christ right here. What do you do with Christ? Well, if you want to be a part of the the family of God, you've got to profess that he is the promised one. Uh, just as a side note, a little commercial for our, after, uh, our lunchtime devotions at 1230. We stream a devotion. And right now we're going through a book called What is the Gospel? by I think it's Greg Gilbert. Um, and uh, in there, he kind of he establishes the bad news first, which is the left half of this diagram here. Uh, the bad news is, is that God, and he goes, into the, he goes into the characteristics of God. He says, first of all, God is creator, and therefore uh, he has, we as his creation have responsibility to him, right? He is the creator. We are the creation. We are, we are called to respond to him. We are called to be accountable to him. But he says our God is also, also holy, and therefore our holy God must judge sin, And so that kind of fills in that bad news portion there is that God who is holy and righteous and the creator created man who fell into sin on his accord, not God's. And that sin must be judged. And I encourage you today, if you have never confessed your sin to God, all of it, all of it. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. All of it. Jesus Christ is able to forgive because that's why he came into the world. He does not desire that we spend eternity 
separated from him. He desires that we will come to faith in Jesus Christ who died on that cross for all sin of all time, for your sins and for mine. And you are able, no matter how bad, no matter how wicked you have been in your life, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done, you will have life eternal. That's the beauty of the gospel, folks. Your faith in Jesus makes you part of God's family, and I pray that that's true. But let's keep going here. We also see that members of God's family have specific characteristics. We kind of touched on this before. There's characteristics of God. His children would have similar characteristics. I want to hit three characteristics this morning. The first one is this. God's family is characteristically loving, right? So is that true of you? Again, the dreaded mirror, right? Go home and look in the mirror and ask yourself as you pray to God, God, am, am I characteristically loving? Am I characterized by, by being that person that overlooks the wrongs that have been done to me and that reaching out to the needs that, that uh, others might have and seeking to love others even when they hate me? Uh, scripture says we're supposed to love our enemies. And, and, a, and at the end of this, I'll share an illustration that I think covers all three characteristics, and, and it certainly deals with enemies, all right? So God's family is characteristically loving. That is supposed to characterize who we are as Christians. He says in, in uh, uh, the second half of verse 1, and everyone who loves him, sorry, I keep hitting a button and I'm hoping I'm not causing a problem here. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him, uh, loves him who is begotten of him. John is just, he just loves to kind of like write real fluffy, right? And he, he just puts words together. It's like, what? Everyone who loves him who begot. Well, what is that talking about? Well, your love for God, that's what that first part is talking about. And everyone who loves him who begot. Who is the one who begot? God. God the Father. Your love for God is genuine only when you love his children. Now, we kind of have already hit on this. If you want to know that you love God, love his children. But notice what he's saying here as we look at this verse again. Everyone who loves him who is begotten also loves him who is begotten of him. He's, he's saying here that those that uh, love God have to love the ones that are begotten by him. So it is the same idea of what John's been preaching up to this point. If you say you love God, you must love all the children that have been begotten by him. These are the children begotten by faith. These are the ones born of God. And so we have no right to not be loving as, as Christians. We see that God's family is characteristically obedient. This obedience is tied to the love. So let's look how we see this. So God's family is characteristically loving. He's been hammering in this one for weeks. We're going to keep moving. It's a fam- this God's family is characteristically obedient. How are you doing in the obedience factor? Go to that dreaded mirror, look in it, pray to God and say, and look at yourself in the eye and say, be honest with myself, self. Am I obedient to the things of the Lord? Well, what kind of obedience? It depends on how we define obedience, right? Well, let's, let's look and see what God's Word says. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. This is where we see love and obedience tied together. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Your obedience to God is a confirmation of your love for his children. 
your obedience, my obedience to God, it confirms something in our life. And it, isn't it interesting? It confirms the love that we have for each other. So if you want to know that you love God, love your brothers and sisters. You want to know that you love your brothers and sisters, love and obey God. It's a, it's a circle. It's a cycle. It's, it, it, they both must be true. Imagine, can you ever love God and not love someone and, and not love your brother and sister? John already said no. Can you love your brother and sister and, uh, you know, I always get it confused, but it, you know what I'm saying, all right? Can you love God without loving your, your neighbor? No. Can you love your neighbor without loving God? No, not with Christ-like love. You can't do it. It's, it's both and. Both must be true. But John brings this aspect of obedience into the picture. He says, by this, and every time we encounter this, but except maybe one, which is still in the, in the future, I think. Uh, when John says this in 1 John, and, and I'm primarily keeping it with 1 John, every time we come across these words, he's pointing forward for something that's going to come in the text. And he says, by this, well, what's he talking about? We know something. John loves certain words. He loves the word love. He loves the word know. He loves uh, all kinds of different words. But this word know is that experiential know. I know because I've experienced something. This is uh, gnosko, all right, in the Greek word. The, the, the Greek word oida means to know, but it's more of a cognitive know. So people go through life and they say, I know God. And that's the oida. That's the cognitive. Yeah, I, I give intellectual assent that there's a God. But we are people who are, are tied to this gnosko, this, this experiential knowing of God. By this, we experientially know something. Well, what is it that we know? Well, we experientially know that we love the children of God. I'm thinking of all the stories I've heard over the many years I've been pastoring whether it be as a, 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 a newbie pastor, you know, whatever you want to call that, a novice pastor. Pastors aren't supposed to be novices, so that's not really a good choice. But that, that new pastor, and I, I'm, the, I'm the fresh out of the seminary right, uh, production line. And from then all the way till now, I hear people say either that a church is loving, a church is friendly, or a church is not loving and a church is not friendly. And the, the reality is, we hear it. I hear it. When I was at Cornerstone, I heard it all the time about the same people. You're talking to this group. I've never met such a friendly, loving church. And then you're talking to this group. Man, what's wrong with these people? The reality is, it depends on your experience. The experience that people are supposed to have is that, this, that we know that we love the children of God. Do you feel loved in this congregation? Do you feel like you matter? Do you feel like those are reaching out to you? But now let's just turn the corner or turn, turn the page a little bit and just say this. Are you loving the way we're supposed to call the love? Are people experiencing the love of God through you? Are people experiencing the love of God through me? And there will be times where I will succeed and there will be times when I fail to express the love of God. But this is what John is saying. By this we know experientially, that we love the children of God. How do we know? When we love God and keep his commandments. So there's some aspect of this that John's explaining 
that we can know, we can literally know that we are loving one another when we are loving God and keeping his commandments. So he brings this aspect of obedience into the picture. And one of the things to understand is when John lists this, it's almost like, well, when we're loving God and when we're keeping his commandments as, as if they're two distinct things. And, and really, we've already discussed they're one thing, and he even points that out in this next verse. For, thi- oh, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. He's saying it's the same thing. This is the love that we obey. We obey out of love. Just as you can't uh, uh, separate the love of God and the love of man, you can't separate the love of God or the love of man from the obedience to God. It's all in the mix. It's Paul, it's car, that's why we're characteristically obedient. Uh, we're going to talk about this because you may not feel obedient. You may look in the mirror and you may be like, yeah, not today. And maybe not today. But you have to ask yourself, are you characteristically obedient to God? Or are you living that duplicitous life that I lived prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, where I gave lip service to my faith in God on Sundays and lived the way I want to the rest of the week. Came to, came to church, you know, maybe even you know, said, said some prayers or whatever, but the cycle continued until Jesus came into my life in an experiential way, and I, and I know that he is the Son of God, and I, am, I was born of God. I was born again. Changed my life. Changed your life. And I hope it'll change others here today. So that we know that we love when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You can't have the love of God without obeying him. We go on to see. Uh, this, uh, by the way, yeah, this isn't new. This isn't new for us, right? This isn't new for John. John said it in his gospel. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In, in uh, 2 John, he says, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is something that the early church understood and that we must understand. So we are characteristically loving, we're characteristically obedient, but our b- obedience to God is no longer a chore to be avoided. This is really part of the good news of the gospel. Prior to salvation, I was remembering, all I could think about was all the fun I would not have if I surrendered my life to, to, to God completely, fully. I remembered all the things. I wouldn't get to do this. I wouldn't get to do this. I'd have to stop doing this. I'd have to do this. And ah, I was like, ah, it's, 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 not, it's not worth it. Oh, yes, it's worth it. Totally worth it when you truly understand the gospel because your obedience to God is no longer a chore to be avoided. This is what he says. His commandments are not burdensome. That word burdensome is exactly what it means. It's not a burden any longer. I want to just consider yourself. You know that you know this is not necessarily the commandments that, that John's talking about with, uh, um, uh, that he's considering in focus. He's probably more or less looking at the, the, the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor, right? Uh, but he, let's think about it for a moment. Were the Ten Commandments burdensome to you prior to your faith in Christ? Think about it. Was worship something that you enjoyed or something you endured? Was honoring your father and mother something that you sought to do? Or was it something that you kind of pretty much gave lip service to? What, what, you know, when, when you talk about lying and stealing and, and those things, was that characteristic of your life? Because, you know, you can steal more than a five-cent piece of candy. You can steal time from your boss. You can steal money from the IRS. You can do all kinds of things. Was it burdensome to you prior to your faith in, in Christ? More than likely it was. 
can I just, can I just do what I want to do? But when you come to Christ, I ask you, is it burdensome to worship Him? We come together and we want to sing hallelujah. There, there's a joy that, listen, it is supernatural in the truest sense. We are born of God. It is a work of God in us. We didn't do anything to, to rally up the emotions and say, yes, God. No, it's coming from a repentant, loving heart. That's why we want to sing. That's why we want to praise God. We come to worship. It's not a burden. It's not a burden to not steal. It's not a burden to not lie. It may be a burden to honor your father and mother from time to time, right? And I'm not joking. I mean, it's true. There are times, young ones, where it's tough. Because why? Because we're parents, we're sinners just like everyone else. But listen, when you're doing it out of a response to to the love of God and you're saying, no, in Christ, I can honor my father and mother, even if they're not believers. I can honor them because God has told me to, and it's not a burden. So folks, listen, whatever aspect this might mean to your life, I'd ask you to consider, what is burdensome to you when you talk about your walk of faith? Remember, we started this whole idea with, what does my faith have to do with the here and now? It has everything to do, and this is why. This is the good news. God's commandments are no longer a burden. We are in Romans 6. We are now set free to obey. We are no longer slaves to sin and and its bondage. We are set free, but not free to do what we want. Free to obey God and enjoy him uh, forever. So let's think about this. Uh, This is something that uh, Matthew and Matthew 11, 28, 29, we're very familiar with. It's uh, it's kind of the emphasis of the book that we handed out, uh, Gentle and Lowly. And, uh, and these words might bring comfort to you this morning, but I'm confident if you've been a believer any length of time, they have brought you comfort in the past. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is this not nourishing words? Is this not the opportunity we have to understand that Jesus is willing to to receive us to himself? And notice, it's not like he's like, hey, come, join me. Play your harp on the cloud, right? No, it's come, take my yoke, which is an instrument of work, of labor. Uh, In my preparation for this, I I read a story about how uh, Jesus more than likely as a carpenter, built yokes for oxen. I just think that's, that's amazing that, that, that he did that. And so we see, he says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is, this is the heart of Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what we have in Christ. So God's family is characteristically loving, obedient, and here is just this beautiful, the good news. We are characteristically victorious. I hope you're living a victorious Christian life. Well, what does that look like? He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whatever is born of God. It's, it could be a whoever, but it's, a, it's the us, going back to verse 1 of this text. Right? Whoever uh, believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he is born of God. Well, whatever is born of God, that's you and me, Christians. Non-Christians, this is not you. Christians, this is us. We have overcome the world. That's beautiful, right? But notice this word overcome. 
It's in this verse, and it's again in verse 5. It's the same Greek word. It's the word Nike. It's, you know, Nike, the swoosh, right? It's, uh, it's overcome is the same word as victory, which is overcome. So it could read, for whatever is born of God, it has victory over the world. And this is the victory that gives us victory over the world, our faith. John is, is making a point. We are overcomers in Christ. He says these over, to overcome the world, he's basically explaining that our victory is over the sinful forces present in the world today. Do you, do you feel victorious over sin today? Because if you do, it's only because of what you have in Christ. And if you're struggling with sin, if you're having defeat after defeat, there's a reason for that. You're either not a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not depending upon his love and his strength and what he has done for you. Remember, we say gospel motivation, the gospel's for every person at every moment. This is a way of us understanding the gospel's for us as believers. Our victory is over the sinful forces present in the world, this world. Romans 6, we can truly say no to sin. Our victory is also evident uh, when we exercise our faith in Jesus, when we are uh, accosted by, by temptations. We exercise our faith and we say no to that temptation and yes to Jesus. We say no to those things that would not bring glory and honor to God. And we say yes to what does bring honor. When we exercise our faith, it is only because we are victorious children of God we're able to do this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. This goes right back to verse 1, right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And the fact says here that it is that, that, that content of your faith and that object of faith that gives you the victory. We see here our victory is anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He sums up uh, uh, verse 5. He says, who is he or she who overcomes the world? There's that word Nike again, right? Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There are little bookends on this little section. And it's saying that our faith matters in the here and in the now and for eternity. And who is the one that overcomes the world? And folks, listen, if you are an overcomer, live it out. Proclaim it from the rooftops. But if you find yourself struggling with sin and struggling with how to live your life, then maybe you're a person that has never surrendered to the love of God expressed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because that's where uh, our victory is anchored. So I want to just, uh, uh, just for the moment, I want to... Um, uh, leave this up here. Faith in Jesus identifies Christians as victorious children of God. And I want to just share a quick story with you. It's, I don't have it on the slide. I'm just going to tell it to you. Uh, I came across this story. You know, I have a military background, so anything dealing with the military is, uh, fascinates me. Uh, I recently watched the movie Midway, uh, which tells the story of, of uh, 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 a particular uh, naval engagement uh, between the United States and, uh, and Japan. And it was in response to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Well, there was a, a lead pilot, a command pilot, who led those planes of Japan into Pearl Harbor. And his name was Mitsuo uh, Fuchida, I think, uh, Fuchida or Fuchida. I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly. And here is this man, obviously honored among the Japanese military. And he leads into what for the Japan uh, nation was a victory. 
They came in and they bombed and, and, and uh, just destroyed much of Pearl Harbor. And then in response to that, and uh, I'm trying to think, Doolittle's, uh, Doolittle's, anyway, anyway, Gen- uh, Colonel Doolittle, I think it was Colonel Doolittle, he, he, uh, he basically uh, manned uh, or led a group of, and again, another pilot, he leads a group of men on these uh, bombers into Japan and they bombed Tokyo. They successfully bombed Tokyo, but because they flew, had to fly early, unpredictably, they had to deviate and they had to bail out of their planes. All 13 to 16 planes were lost. And they had to, they had to uh, jump out and it's portrayed in the movie and you can see that. And Doolittle actually survives and many of his uh, uh, pilots and, and, and crewmen survived. Well, there was one particular crewman his name was Sergeant Jacob DeShazer. DeShazer, DeShazer. American bombardier. He was the one that would actually have, you know, hit the button to, to drop the bombs or at least to, to uh, eye it up. Well, he made it out of the plane, but he became a prisoner of war with like four or five other members of the crew. And he survived. Fast forward a little bit. Why am I talking about faith in Jesus identifies Christians as victorious children of God? That particular man, Sergeant DeShazer, uh, he actually was in prison in solitary confinement for a matter of years. And then one day, and I won't go through all the details, he is actually given a Bible by his captors. He's given a Bible, and he's reading the Bible. And what does he do? He comes to faith in Jesus Christ because he's reading God's Word. He survives his prisoner of war experience. He returns home, and then what does he do? He becomes a missionary to Japan. This prisoner of war returns to the land where he was beaten and nearly killed, and he comes there with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people of Japan wanted to hear what he had to say. Because they're saying, wait a minute. Because up to this point, the emperor of Japan was considered deity. And then the emperor of Japan, after the defeat, came forward and basically said, I am not deity. And they were left in a conundrum. Their faith. What was their faith in? And then they see this man say, my faith has brought me back to my captors to love you the way God loved me. And so he goes around and, and, and he has pamphlets written up, tracts that are lit, written up. And guess who reads one of the tracts? Mitsuo Fuchida, the pilot who led the bombardier run into Pearl Harbor. And what happens to him? He gets saved. He gets saved through the testimony of this man and, and through his engagement in Scripture. One of the first things he did was get a Bible. He heard about this guy that was doing this stuff. He says, well, if the Bible turned him around, let me read the Bible. He reads the Bible. He gets saved. And the reason I think this is so amazing, as we talk about faith in Jesus identifies Christians, right, as victorious children of God. As children, we have characteristics. We are loving those two men became friends. And they loved one another. We are characteristically obedient. Both of them served the Lord out of obedience because they knew what God did to them. 
He gave them life where there was only death. He gave them freedom where there was only uh, uh, shackles. And then children of God are characteristically victorious. They were individually victorious in their bombing runs. But they didn't know true victory until they came to know Jesus Christ. And if you ever go on there, I can get you their names, but you just look it up. There's a video where they're both giving their testimony. It's an old video. It's kind of hard to watch at times. But it's their faith. They are both children of God. We are children of God if we share the same faith they share, which is the faith that we gain from reading God's Word. I want to encourage you this morning that if you're here this morning and you don't know what what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like, read His Word. It's there. Start in the Gospel of John and hear about the love that God has for you. Continue to read and you'll find out all that we have in Christ. We have freedom. We have joy. We have purpose. We have understanding. We have eternity with God. We invite you to join the family of God. If you're already part of the family of God, be renewed in your vigor for what that means. Look in that mirror and say, I don't have to sin anymore. I am free to honor God with my life and to obey Because faith in Jesus identifies you. It identifies you as a victorious child of God. Let's enjoy that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Father, it truly does change us from the inside out. Thank you for these two men that it was so evident that their life had been changed drastically. And yet, Father... There are more stories than we can count about people's lives who have changed. But what about our life? What about my faith? Is my faith in something other than Jesus Christ? It will only lead to being a child of the devil. It will bring no purpose. It will leave me in bondage. It will promise me all the things that true faith in Christ would bring, but it never delivers. Father, I pray for anyone here today that is in that situation, that they would simply repent of their sins. Confess them to you, Lord. Confess all of them, all at once. Lord, forgive me for my sin in response to the knowledge that Jesus Christ died to pay for their sin and has been buried and has risen again has ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming again. And and when he comes, Father, he will judge. But all your children will receive the inheritance that has been reserved for them in heaven, and we praise you for that. So, Father, we pray that the response to the gospel of Jesus Christ would be one of repentance of sin and one of victorious Christian living depending on which family we belong to. May you be glorified as new children are brought into the family. May you be glorified as your children live to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.